The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Galatians chapter 5 in the Word of God this morning. Galatians chapter 5. What a delight to be back. I was just looking over my records. I think our first time at Ambassador Baptist Church was 1999. <laughs> and then, of course, at this location, we've been uh, at several times. Uh, sorry, my wife and son couldn't be with me. A couple of times ago, we were out here with my uh, uh, trailer, and so that allowed them to be out here as well. And so this time I had to fly, uh, but uh, at any rate, it's a delight to be back here, and I trust that the Lord will just breathe on us and give life. I love the title of the uh, conference, Spiritual Renewal. You know, when God breathes life and we are restored back to life again, your mind is renewed, just everything is renewed, and perspective is changed. All of a sudden, we see straight, we have the uh, right kind of focus and priority, and all of that is, a, uh, is an amazing help to us. Can somebody grab me a paperweight? I should have brought my phone up here, not to throw it uh, on here, just so I can keep my Bible pages from blowing here. All right, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Next time I'll get it right. All right, uh, Galatians chapter 5 here in the Word of God. Now, I know many of you have been praying leading up to this, and uh, that uh, encourages my heart. I've heard that uh, the Lord has been in those prayer meetings. I'll tell you this. There's nothing worse than a prayer meeting that God's not in. <laughs> But there's nothing better than a prayer meeting where God's there. And I thrill when I hear that there's life because that life comes from the Holy Spirit. And when he's in a prayer meeting, God's on the move before a meeting ever gets started. So that rejoices my heart. Uh, But having said that, now that we're starting the meeting, let me encourage you to keep praying. I want to encourage you to have a heart cry meeting every day. Get alone with God or if you can, get together with your spouse. That'd be really neat. And with your family if you can. And lift your voices. You know, there's something about verbalizing audibly. Lift your voice. You know, there are probably some burdens on your heart. There's probably some things in your life that you wish you could see changed. There's probably some areas where there's bondage and you need freedom. Well, why not name those very burdens to God and lift your voice and cry out and say, God, would you give me the truth that you know that I need that would make me free in that area? Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think God would delight to answer that? Absolutely, he would delight to answer that. So let's have a heart cry meeting every day. And then let me encourage you, uh, in regard to a conference like this, obviously we have a number of services packed in together in just a few days. And so uh, we have the opportunity for what some call the cumulative, does that sound cool? The cumulative effect of preaching. (laughs) But really, it is that kind of opportunity where you can build line upon line, truth upon truth, And you can actually put pieces together and hopefully you'll remember the former piece because it wasn't so long ago. (laughs) And so you have that advantage of preaching uh, a number of services in a few uh, short days. And uh, often the Lord leads me in a way where there really is kind of a math equation and you can put it all together. Now, if you can only come one service, don't worry. Uh, Hopefully it'll stand alone. Uh, But also if you can come to the whole thing, there really will be a, a, a comprehensive kind of package is often how the Lord leads in uh, the meetings that he has me uh, uh, preach in. So let's look to the Lord to guide. I'm certainly asking him to give wisdom and to put the pieces together. And I trust that you'll be here every service that you possibly can be. And let me put it to you this way. I recognize we live in a day where there's weird schedules, bizarre schedules. I mean, you know, technically as an evangelist, I'm a second shifter. (laughs) If you think about the weeknights. But at any rate, would you come every service that God wants you to come. That's not a trick. (laughs) I have been in meetings where people have taken off of work or order to come. I'm not telling you to do that. But you know if the Holy Spirit did, you would not regret it. 
Let's do what God wants us to do. Let's meet with God. Let's allow the Spirit to stir our hearts up to seek God himself. That's what the focus has been on already in this service. We need God in our lives. We desperately need God in our lives. So this morning, I want us to look at a passage that I trust will be kind of an overview for the rest of the meeting. And then we'll peel back, uh, tonight we'll peel back some layers and go piece by piece. But let's look at this overview. We're in Galatians chapter 5. Now Galatians is an amazing book because back in the first chapter, it's dealing with perversions of the gospel. And that's a tragedy, but it happens. It still happens in our day. And then it gets to some clarification in chapter 2 on justification as well as sanctification. Verse 16, justification. Galatians 2.20, sanctification. You get into chapter 3, and the question is asked. You know, you received the Spirit. Receives ye the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? And the answer is the hearing of faith. And he says, are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit... In other words, through faith, are you now made perfect through the flesh? In other words, going back to self-effort, and the answer is absolutely not. And so it goes into further clarification in chapter 4. We come to chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Look, you didn't get to heaven on your own merit. Don't go back to self-effort. Don't go back to the bondage of self-dependence. Don't throw yourself into Romans 7 when you can live in Romans 8. And that's the essence of what you're seeing there. Then jumping ahead to verse 13, he says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. That ties in with that word free that we saw in verse 1. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Obviously, some could misuse it. Don't do that. But by love, serve one another. We'll come back to that phrase later on. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What an amazing verse. Then it says in verse 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Now, verse 16 is our text. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are the contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's an amazing statement. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. In other words, you're dealing with moral arena here, all, all aspects of it. Verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, that's strife, emulations, that's jealousy, wrath, strife, seditions, that's divisions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, the list could have been a whole lot longer. Now, let me just say this. I'm not preaching on those verses today, but undoubtedly what we just read is represented in this audience. Probably all of it, with hopefully the exception of murder. <laughs> But if you throw in bitterness and hatred, then we're all there. Now, friends, we need deliverance. This is a passage dealing with deliverance. Let's go to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Remember verse 18? When you're led of the Spirit, you're uh, not under the law. Fascinating. And so verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, let's just kind of put it all together. Verse 16 says, walk in the Spirit. 
He shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verses 22 and 23 say, but the fruit of the Spirit. The title of the message is The Fruitful Walk. Let's pray. Blessed Holy Spirit, we need you to be our teacher this morning. We really do. Would you open the eyes of our understanding? Give clarity. Lord, thrill us with the provision and the hope of an actual deliverance from the works of the flesh. An actual living in the Spirit. And Lord, I pray that for some it'll be watershed. Lord, it'll be life-changing, a turning point. For others, Lord, may it be deepening in uh, the new walk they're already on. Lord, you know the need of everyone here. There may be someone who needs to be born again and receive the Spirit to begin with. Lord, would you meet every need? I plead the blood of Jesus, would you protect us from the attack of the evil one who hates what we're going to focus on. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy. And in your name, through your blood, through the finished work, I exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder this hour and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, would you breathe on us? Make this time count. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in college studying for the ministry, I remember in my Bible study reading the book of Galatians, and I remember reading Galatians 5.16. And it was one of those moments where the verse came off the page. You know what that's like especially if you've read the Bible for a while. You know, you've read these passages before, but suddenly that verse arrests your attention. And it just, it just speaks to you. And I remember thinking, wow, look at this promise. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I'm a Bible college guy, and I'm thinking, look at this. Look at this verse, because I needed some help with these things. And it says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I thought, you know, that is an incredible promise. And if I could ever figure out what it means to walk in the Spirit, maybe we could get somewhere. <laughs> and quite frankly, I wondered that for years. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What is this fruit of the Spirit that is specified in verses 22 and 23, against such there's no law. What is that? Well, as we dive into the text this morning, I want us to see that walking in the Spirit accesses the fruit of the Spirit. But again, we come to the questions, what is walking in the Spirit, and what is the fruit of the Spirit? What I want us to do is just ponder and meditate the, the truths that are given to us in this passage and uh, open up seven clarifications that I trust the Lord will use to answer these questions. First of all, what we're dealing with is a singular plurality. Now, I know you're thinking, well, that sounds like a contradiction. No, it's one of those things called an oxymoron. Now, that's not a person, a person, <laughs> uh, uh, though it, it, the term sometimes fits. But at any rate, uh, an oxymoron, of course, is when you have two terms that seem to contradict, like when you go to the restaurant and it says jumbo shrimp. <laughs> well, you know, if it's jumbo, how can it be shrimp? And if it's shrimp, how can it be jumbo? But we get the idea when you put the terms together. Okay, that's what we have here in the passage. It's a singular plurality, or we could say a collective singular. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let's start with the plurality. In verse 22... It says the fruit of the Spirit is, and it mentions nine graces. It starts with love. You probably are aware that that's the word agape. And you may be well aware that that's that highest form of love. There are several words in our Greek New Testament that are translated love. This is that highest form. This is that unconditional love. 
the kind of love that God loves us with. This is an amazing love, a love that does right even when you are wronged. I remember talking to a couple one time that were going at it, <laughs> and I was addressing my comments to the husband saying, look, uh, you know, the Bible commands love your wife, and, and it means you do right even when you're wrong. He said, well, it couldn't mean that. I said, well, it does. <laughs> now, friends, you know what that is? It's supernatural. That's not in any of us. We don't like to do right when we're wrong. That's not natural. What's natural is to try to get revenge, dish it back out. But here, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is this supernatural love that does right, that is that, is, uh, that love that is really Christ's love toward us. Then it goes on and says, joy. Ah, uh, far deeper than the soul level. The world can have a measure of what we might call happiness on the soul level, but they don't have that spirit-level joy that someone can experience in the deep recesses of their soul even when they are in the midst of incredible trial. See, it's supernatural. Peace. Again, a deeper-than-the-soul-level concept. This peace that passes all understanding. A peace that the world doesn't get. How many times have doctors and nurses been baffled as a child of God there in the uh, hospital receives news that, that normally people fall apart on and yet they are at peace? You see, it's supernatural. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You know what that is? It's the opposite of short-suffering. <laughs> and we all know what short-suffering is. Okay, so long-suffering is the opposite. You know, that's supernatural too. And it goes on. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. I love Mueller's definition there. A real preference for God's will. Got to chew on that one. It's a great definition of meekness. Then temperance, which is not just self-control because the world can do that. It's spirit-energized. Self-control, which means there's hope for those who do not presently have character. <laughs> you see, it's supernatural. Now, there's nine graces mentioned there. We just scratched the surface. There's your plurality. But I want you to notice the beginning of verse 22 says, but the fruit. Now, I often hear Christians say, but say the fruits of the Spirit. But that's not what the text says. It's singular. And we believe in verbal inspiration. There's a reason why the inspired text says the fruit, singular. What it means is when you're accessing life and the Spirit... All nine graces are simultaneously manifested. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And there is this singular plurality. In other words, if you're thinking, well, i got this one, this one, and this one, but I need to work on this one, this one, and this one, you don't have any of them. What you think you have are fakes. Imitations. You know, in the realm of fruit, imitation is not the same, you know, you got these wooden apples that look pretty sharp on the table, but you take a bite and it's not going to work. Uh, you know, when you're walking in the Spirit, you're accessing the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, all at the same time. Because you're accessing the very life of Jesus in you, and He's consistent. I had a pastor tell me that on the way home after we dealt with this in a service, his wife said, 
So, it's all or nothing. She was grappling with that. Had a dear lady in one of our meetings not too long ago testify. She said, I've never thought of that. I kind of thought I had some but needed to work on others, and I realize now I don't have any. You see, it's the fruit of the Spirit which is manifested in these nine ways. It is kind of like a garden, singular, of flowers, and you may have hydrangeas and rhododendrons and so forth and so on, but it is singular, the fruit of the Spirit. Then you have these nine graces. I personally think the fruit of the Spirit is love, and the other eight are the manifestations of the love. But at any rate, you're dealing with the very life and character of Jesus Christ. So it is a singular plurality. Secondly, what we're talking about is divine life. Divine life. Notice it says in verse 17, excuse me, verse 18, excuse me, verse 19, the works of the flesh, but when you get to the Spirit, it doesn't say the works of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. This is not something you work up. This is something that is born and manifested. See, it's fruit. It's divine life. Now, I love being in California. I really do. We were here a couple of weeks ago, and I'm delighted to be back now. And a few weeks ago, I was down there uh, where you, well, I guess it's probably all over the state, but there were orchards everywhere, and this, you know, the vineyards and the almond groves and pistachios and so on. And I grew up in Chicago, so this is all just absolutely fascinating. I mean, I've been here before, but it's like I see it for the first time every time I'm taking pictures, you know, because uh, it's fascinating to me. Uh, you know, when you grow up in Chicago, you see cement and all fruit is in the grocery store. <laughs> uh, that's just how it works. You know, you don't know this comes out of, off of trees. And I remember, you know, going down to Florida uh, some years ago and seeing an orange grove. I'm like, wow, look at this. All these big orange, I know this sounds crazy to Californians, but for a city kid in Chicago, this was fascinating just to see those big balls of fruit hanging there. And I remember one time I was in a meeting, and I was parked right across from an orange grove, and so I just had to go stand there, just take it in. Look at this stuff. And you know, I didn't hear any grunting and groaning, no working and toiling, you know, all right, got to get bigger, you know. No, it's just, it's fruit. See, there's life. That's what we have here, divine life, however, where the life source is Jesus himself. You see, the flesh cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's the life of the Spirit that produces the fruit of the Spirit because spiritual fruit demands a spiritual root. And so the root of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. In other words... This is not something you do based on self-effort, human works. This is something you allow God to do in and through you through the cooperation called faith, which is not passivity. It's active cooperation, but it's faith, which is not a work. It's dependence upon the worker. And when you depend on him, there's fruit. There's divine life. So... Singular plurality, divine life. Thirdly, what we're dealing with is an overcoming positive. Now, it says in verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then when you get to the fruit of the Spirit, it lists them. But what's fascinating, when it lists the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it doesn't list it as the opposite of the works of the flesh. It doesn't say uh, the fruit of the Spirit is morality and, uh, you know, harmony it doesn't say that. 
it doesn't list it as the opposites of the works of the flesh. That's fascinating. Back in verse 16, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not feel the lust of the flesh. So we get it wrong, we think, okay, well, if I just don't do these certain things, then I'm filled with the Spirit. No, because an unsaved moralist can mimic that. That's not it. What we're talking about here is accessing the divine life of the Spirit of Jesus in you. And when you do, there's an overcoming positive. When you access Him, when you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because He doesn't do that. But the focus is on His holy life. In other words, the focus is not on a list of don'ts. Because an unsaved moralist can do that. The focus is on a relationship with the Spirit of Jesus, and when you have a right relationship with Him, He won't do certain things. But see, there's a difference of focus there. Uh, uh, We're dealing uh, not with a prison of don'ts, but with the freedom of won'ts. You see, liberty. It really is liberty. It's not binding. You know, the fact of the matter is, You can take a criminal and you may keep him from acts of crime by putting him behind bars. But a changed heart walks in love and is free from the acts of crime without being put behind bars. When my father became the pastor of Market Manor Baptist Church in Chicago, the year was 1966. I was four years of age. At that time in our church, there was a member by the name of George... Mensick. Mensick, years before, had been a part of Al Capone's gang. So he did what gangsters do. Now, in those days, they didn't just murder anybody. They only murdered other gangsters. Not that that makes it okay, but at least it's limited. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, you know, that's what it was. And his... His mark of how he did things was to stuff the body down a manhole. But his wife got saved. And then his daughter got saved. And they began to pray that George Mensick would know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And it began to irritate the fire out of him. And one day after a drunken binge, he's coming home. He just got in his head. I'm sick of all this religious talk with my wife and daughter. And in the, in the stupor of alcohol, uh, 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 that opens the door for spirits. That's why it's called spirits and opens the door for the enemy. In the stupor of all of that, uh, he decided he was going to kill his daughter. The devil's a destroyer. And so as he got to the house, the wife recognized something's awry here. And she tried to get in the way he physically threw her to the ground he went down the hallway to his daughter's bedroom thrust open the door pulled his gun and pointed it right at her head but before he pulled the trigger he noticed she was speaking and he listened as she was praying oh god won't you save my daddy oh god save my dad save him make him a good daddy like other dads and it registered he lowered the gun, walked down the street, 60th in California, the south side of Chicago. Walked into Market Manor Baptist Church. The pastor who was there at the time was in the building. Took a Bible and led George Mensick to Jesus Christ. Mensick put his faith in Jesus to save him from sin and hell. And you know what? God did. 
So he went to the leaders of the gang and said, you know, you've got to change my duties. <laughs> you know, of course, the murder's not going to fly anymore uh, now that he's saved. And so uh, he soon discovered that there wasn't anything in the gang he could do. <laughs> and so he left the gang. He got a job preaching, or <laughs> preaching, sweeping the streets of Chicago. And the, uh, the cronies would roll up in the black limousines, roll down the window, wave the wads, $100 bills. And say, anytime, George, you want to come back, you can come back. And he'd wave them on. You know, God began to change his life. He began to grow in the Lord. He began to experience the life of Jesus. It took him two years to get off of heroin. But then he got free from that. And he continued to grow in the Lord. This is the power of Almighty God in a man that was in bondage for so many years. And then God called him to preach. And because of his formal life of crime, he felt it his duty to preach to men who were behind bars. Now, what's amazing is the Chicago Police Department threw away Mensick's record. You say, they didn't need the bars anymore. God had changed him. And they let him go back into the prisons, not to be put behind bars, but to preach to those who were. All across Chicago, all across the Midwest, George Mensick preached. He saw hundreds of people come to Jesus Christ. In fact, 26 men who were converted uh, when Mensick preached in the jail later became preachers. 26. See, the power of the Spirit of God. When somebody begins to walk in the Spirit and begins to access the fruit of the Spirit, life begins to, begins to be radically altered. See, it's an overcoming positive. You walk in the Spirit. You access the fruit of the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but your focus is not on all these things you don't do. Your focus is on Jesus. When you access Him, He doesn't do those things. You access Him. There's love and joy and peace and so on. And against such, there is no law. There's no law against love. There's no law against joy. And when you access him, there's a sense where he's above the law. Against such, there is no law. And when you access him, you experience that divine, supernatural life. At the same time, you won't do certain things because he just doesn't do certain things. But the focus is on him. An overcoming positive. Fourthly, we're dealing with the present fact. Now help me out here. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and what's the next word? Is. Now, when I was here two years ago, I preached a message called Possessing Your Possessions. I'm sure everyone remembers <laughs> with all the details. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, we emphasize this point that there's a difference between a fact and a promise. The promises are the will be's and the shall be's, but they're slightly delayed. They're, they're potentialities because if they're will be, then they're not is. <laughs> all right, so they're a potentiality, whereas a fact is an is. It's a reality right now. There's no delay. Now, here's what's neat. If you're a child of God, the fruit of the Spirit is. You need love. It's there for the taking right now. Why? Because Jesus lives in you. And he's love. And if there was a time delay, we'd never make it. We'd go down. <laughs> because there are times when you just got to have that supernatural touch, like immediately. And thankfully... Christ is living in us. That means the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus is. See, that's not a will be. That's an is. It's just like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Uh, Thanks be unto God who gives, who is giving us the victory. Jesus Christ. See, he is living in us. He is the victory. Look, there's only one victorious life. His name is Jesus. 
And friends, when you access him, you access love, you access joy. See, he's there. If, if, if the text says, thanks be to God who is giving us the victory, that means we can be taking. Right? He is giving. That means we can be taking. And you ought to say thank you, because that's courteous. And it's that real. It's just like somebody handing you a gift of a $100 bill, and you reach out and take it and say thank you. It's that real. The only difference is what we're talking about is spiritual, not physical. But it's just as real as if it were physical. Thank you for your love. I remember one time somebody was standing in front of me, and I mean, they were being so unlovely. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I am standing here. <laughs> And, you know, you're really tempted to condescend and a whole lot more. (laughs) I remember in my heart just saying, your love, Lord. And immediately, immediately, my perspective toward that person was completely altered as the love of God was manifested. I'm going to tell you something, friends. I can't do that. But God can, and he's in you if you're his child. And his life is there. And love and joy and peace and all of these nine graces is all available for the taking because it's a present fact. So take and say thank you. That means when you act, it's not just you. You can try to do this in the flesh. All right, you know, all right, be loving. <laughs> you know, people grit their teeth and say, all right, you know, man, I was victorious today. I was going to lace that person down and I didn't. But man, you should have heard it on the inside. <laughs> You know, it all was in my head, but I didn't say anything, so that was victory. No, that's not victory. (laughs) Victory is when you access Jesus and don't even want to lash back out. See, when you take, then when you act, there's the impartation of divine life, fruit. It's not just you striving in the flesh to look the other way or striving in the flesh to be patient. You know, you may go through some outward motions, but that's the imitation. It's not the same. But when you take the very life of Jesus, then when you act, there's this spirit of Jesus imparting to you the very life of Jesus. That's the spirit-filled life. The spirit filling you with the life of Jesus. And now when you act, there's that freedom to love, that freedom to respond with patience and the soft answer, that freedom to look the other way, and so on. Number five, it's a simple walk. We come now to that question, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, Galatians, or excuse me, Colossians 2, 6 answers it for us. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Okay, so it's pretty simple. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive Christ? By grace through faith. So walk ye in him. It's the same way. Just like in salvation, you surrender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit about sin, righteousness, and judgment, thus placing your trust in Jesus as Savior. In the same way, surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit for the next step, trusting His power to enable you to take the step. Just like you receive Jesus by faith, you walk by faith. You know, if it was anything else, we couldn't do it. But faith is the one thing we can do because faith is saying, God, I can't, but you can. So I'm trusting you. And so as you have received, so walk ye in him. That's how you walk in the spirit. So walk ye in him. So walk ye in him. The way you walk in him, the way you walk in the spirit is the same way you receive the spirit. It's by grace through faith. 
as the Spirit of God works in your heart and you respond in faith in the same way each step the Spirit of God works in our hearts so that we trust Him for the power to take that step. You see, it's a simple walk. Now, it's interesting. In verse 16 and verse 25, you have the same phrase, walk in the Spirit. However, they're two different words. It's fascinating. Verse 16 is a broader term, kind of more like walk about or conduct oneself, often applied to lifestyle. Uh, It uh, is that uh, kind of a sense. And also, I should point out that in verse 16, that when it says the Spirit, the word the, it's called that definite article for all the... Uh, grammar people here, Uh, uh, just so you know that I know at least one little tiny piece, but uh, at any rate, uh, the definite article, when it's before a proper name, it emphasizes the person. When it's absent, it emphasizes the quality or the power of that person. Now, in the English, it's always inserted in the translation because it would sound funny without it, so it's rightly rendered. However, in the original language, it's actually not there in this verse. We believe in verbal inspiration, don't we? There's a reason. It's walk in the power of the Spirit. Depend on the Spirit's power to enable you to conduct yourself. So that's more dependence upon His power in the sense of enablement. But when you come down to verse 25, what's the same is the definite article's absence. So it's power, but what kind of power? Power for what? Here the word walk differs. It's keeping step with. Walk in a straight line. See, verse 16 is the idea of depend on the power uh, of the Spirit to enable you. Verse 25 is to depend on the power of the Spirit to lead you. Keep in step with the Spirit. He's the leader. Now, friends, that's key. That means we've got to depend on both his leadership and his enablement. Or we can put it this way. We depend on his enablement to empower us to follow his leadership. You know the song Trust and Obey? Remember that old one? <laughs> That's what it's saying. Trust. Take the provision. Depend on his power so that you actually have a supernatural dynamic to obey and actually do it. <laughs> there it is. So keep in step with. Kind of like in a marching band or in the military you know, they're, they're in step with. You know what that means? There's a relationship. See, being spiritual is when you're rightly related to the Holy Spirit. A brand new Christian can be spiritual. That doesn't mean they're mature, but they can be filled with the Spirit. They can yield to the Spirit's leadership. They can trust the Spirit's power. That's not the same as maturity. Maturity takes time. As you walk by faith, you grow in grace, and thus you mature. But a brand new Christian can be rightly related to the Holy Spirit. A brand new Christian can yield to the Spirit's leadership, trust the Spirit's power, just like Mensik did, and see old, bad, acquired habits like heroin and a lot worse drop off and and be replaced with new, good, acquired habits. Why? Because there's the power of divine life. And friends, when you are rightly related to the Spirit, that's spirituality. I think we've gotten off course. We think if you do these things and don't do these things and you look like the box of whatever you think the box is, then you're spiritual. Baloney. Because an unsaved moralist can mimic all of that. No, it's when you're rightly related to the Spirit. When that's the case, fruit is the result. That brings us to number six. It's a spiritual service. It says, 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, but verse 13 says, by love, serve. Ah, fascinating. You know, when you access the fruit of the Spirit, you can actually serve. And what's fascinating, others get to eat the fruit. I mean, yeah, we kind of benefit from being loving, whatever, whatever, but you know who really benefits? Your wife, your husband, your children, those in the workplace. You see, when we walk in the Spirit and that fruit of the Spirit is manifested, then others benefit from that life, and that life is Jesus. They get to eat the fruit. By love, serve one another. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, and when you're accessing that life and the Spirit, that love and joy and all that follows is a part of it, and others around you are touched by the divine, almighty, supernatural life of Jesus Christ. It brings heaven to earth. It is a spiritual service. You see, it's Jesus through you nourishing those around you, impacting those around you. It is not so much feats of greatness, but being a channel of the great one. A missionary a friend of mine said, he goes, John, I didn't know your dad, but I, had to spend, uh, I got to spend two hours with him at an airport one time. He said, I don't remember all that he said. I just remember I was never the same. Well, that wasn't my dad. That's Jesus. That's how it works. That brings us to number seven. There's a necessary prerequisite. Verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, that is, if you have been made alive in the Spirit, another way of saying that is, if you've been born again, let us also walk in the Spirit. Look, you can't walk in the Spirit unless you've been born of the Spirit. And friend, if you're here today, and you're wondering, well, what does that mean? What it means is you come to a point where you recognize, you know what, sin's really the problem, because sin uh, is in the way of God letting me into heaven because God's perfect and I don't meet that standard. And yes, there is a consequence. It's called hell. It's separation from God forever in the lake of fire. But there is a deliverance. His name is Jesus. He came into our world. He went to the cross. Our sins were laid on him. All of them. All the sins we've ever committed or will commit were laid on him. And he died for us. And he rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell. And when you make a choice to stop depending on you... Stop depending on, 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 on your own way of trying to get to heaven and meet the standard. No, you don't meet the standard. The standard is God. Nobody, nobody meets the standard but God. God. Only God meets the standard of God. That's why you need Jesus. And when you make that choice to depend on him to save you from sin and hell, your sins are forgiven. His righteousness is credited to your account. That meets the standard. Now you have the righteousness of Jesus from a legal standpoint, but he moves in. You see... His life is implanted into you, that divine life. You're born again. You're birthed into the family as God's life is birthed into you. And that's necessary for you to walk in the Spirit. Friend, if you've never been born again, you can trust Jesus today as your Savior from sin and hell, and He'll save you. And that begins that whole new life. It's like a child being born, and now they can grow. Once you're born again, now you can begin to grow, as we're seeing here in this passage. So walking in the Spirit accesses the fruit of the Spirit. I wonder if there are some strained marriages in this audience. Probably. You know what? If just one of the two would start walking in the Spirit, it'd make a big difference. You get them both doing it, it'll be radically revolutionary. Wow. What about 
parent-child tensions and clashes? What if Jesus were manifested? You know, when children grow up in a home where Jesus is manifested, they know he's real. My parents were obviously not perfect. No parents are. But I'm going to tell you something. I grew up in a home where Jesus was manifested. What a difference. How about church? How about the workplace? You see, it's when that life of Jesus is manifested. That's what makes the radical difference. It's not us becoming strong. This side of heaven, we're weak and we always will be, apart from him. It's us recognizing that we're weak so that we keep depending on him who is strong. And friends, when you do, depending on his enablement as the power to obey his leadership, then that fruit of the Spirit is manifest and you can actually, by love, serve one another. And this church thing can work and it's real and it's wonderful and it's not the fake stuff. It's dynamic because it's God in our midst. That's what we need. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.